Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition, a delicious range of sumptuously smooth dark chocolate. You're listening to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. We have a slightly divisive book club coming up for you on today's episode. Sometimes I actually do worry, because we all get along in the book club, that we agree too much. But that certainly wasn't the case with Motherwell, a memoir by the late journalist and author Deborah Orr. Motherwell is the final piece of work from Deborah, who had cancer and died in October of last year. Her memoir is rooted in the industrial town of Motherwell in Scotland and focuses heavily on the turbulent relationship she had with her mother. If you've been reading it alongside us, we'd love to hear what you think. Email us on the women's podcast at irishtimes.com. But for now, it's our book club with Anne Ingle, Neve Towie and Bernice Harrison discussing Motherwell. So I will do what I do at the beginning of all our book clubs and I'll read the little blurb just to give everyone a picture. And I know some of you have read it or are reading it. It's Motherwell, A Girlhood by the late Deborah Orr. And the blurb says, Just shy of 18, Deborah Orr left Motherwell, the town she both loved and hated, to go to university. It was a decision her mother railed against from the moment the idea was raised. When... Her mother had very little agency in the world. Every choice was determined by the men in her life. And strangely, she wanted the same for her daughter. Attending university wasn't for the likes of the Orr family. Worse still, it would mean leaving Wynne behind. And Wynne wanted Deborah with her at all times. But while she managed to escape, Deborah's severing from her family was only superficial. She continued to travel back to Motherwell, fantasising about the day that Wynne might finally come to accept her as good enough. Though, of course, it didn't quite work work out that way. Motherwell is a sharp, candid and often humorous memoir about the long shadow that can be cast when the core relationship in your life compromises every effort you make to become an individual. Anne Ingle, what did you think of Motherwell? Well, I had the privilege of listening to it on Audible and uh, an actress called Gabriel Quigley read the book and she was absolutely amazing because she took on Deborah's voice as well as her mother's and The difference she used, uh, the mother's voice was soft and gentle, but passive aggressive at the same time. So I found that um, a wonderful thing to uh, experience. So fair play to Gabriel Quigley. Uh, I've never heard of her before, but I hope I do again. I listened to another one of her readings. Uh, The book resonated with me, particularly because of the fact that I married an Irishman. I was from London. He was from Dublin. And so I knew that kind of thing that was happening in the early days. Of, so, sorry, Wynne was from Essex. That's Deborah Orr's mother. It was from Essex and had to travel up to Scotland, Scotland. to following her yeah. man yes. up to Motherwell where he came As from. I did, followed my man. As many women did. As and many, actually some many men many do it as do. well. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so I kind of felt a kind of an affinity to that whole situation. But that's where it ended because I, I couldn't imagine anybody less like me uh, and Wynne, the mother. Um, 
Deborah does really tell the story of the wonderful uh, experience, not the wonderful experience, but the experience of growing up in Motherwell, this big steel industry going on around her, her father working six days a week and the mother doing uh, a sp spare work as well. But um, it's not a happy home uh, from any point of view. She has one brother, David, and he seems to have weathered the storm a bit better because he was a boy. And there seemed to be a very distinct thing going on about gender in the household. Um, Deborah writes at one point, my mother was not a bad person and never became one. She was just inhibited by her choices, so inhibited that they deformed her. And it was only someone very close to her who would ever discern that. So the upbringing she had was one of... Uh, a love-hate thing. The mother loved her so much, needed her so much, wanted her so much, but at the same time, it was detrimental to Deborah's life. At one point, Deborah cheated at Scrabble, which I, I found really telling, and the mother was so upset by this terrible thing that she did that she made her wear a cardboard plaque around her neck when they went off into town. And can you imagine a little girl? The, the plaque said cheat. Cheat. The plaque said cheat. And she was like a 12-year-old girl going around like that. So that is a very bizarre thing to happen. So you can tell from that the depths of um, of the woman and the way she carried on. I mean, I did I did really feel a bit sorry for the mother in, in some ways because I'm always a bit sorry for mothers because being a mother is not an easy thing to be. Um, uh, and the, the way that Deborah kept using throughout the book uh, narcissism narcissism if you read it once you read it a thousand times which did irritate me a little bit um but overall i just thought it was a great story of her life a very very sad story and in fact at the in the epilogue she tells us she had post-traumatic stress disorder through through the way that her life went and through her husband and one thing or another it took a heavy toll on her so um it was it was just Mother Well, of course, was a brilliant title. <laughs> Did the mother, Mother Well, no, she didn't. And this huge expanse of uh, an industrial town, which is completely flattened now and gone and, and passed over. So uh, I did enjoy it now myself, but I think very much of what I enjoyed was listening to this young woman, Gabriel, mm. saying it. So what did you think, uh, Bernice? Well, mm, first, I... A couple of things. I should say it's um, a really easy read. It's a really enjoyable read. It's really well written. Deborah Orr was, of course, she died before Christmas. She was, of course, um, this really well-known British journalist. She had a very stellar career in the London media scene. Uh, and the book, for me, uh, operated on two levels. One that I enjoyed very, very much and one that I got very, very tired of. One was uh, the description of living in Motherwell, living in, in Glasgow. This post-war working class environment. Uh, Ravenscraig was this, we, I don't think we can imagine it in Ireland because we'd have had nothing like it. Ravenscraig was this steelworks that, as she says in the book, was twice the size of Monaco. So we can't imagine that. And that it, that everybody worked in it, just everybody in all these little towns all around worked in it and 
the description of growing up first, the, 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 her, herself and her parents when she was born lived in a slum in Glasgow and there were slum clearances and there was they were cleared out to this brand new, gorgeous, high-rise development uh, out in, 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 in the sort of essentially like 12 or 20 miles or something from Glasgow in this new high-rise, this brand new post-war social experiment in many ways. Um, and the social experiment worked for a long time because, uh, because, as she says, this these apartment, these flats, these high rises, they were predicated on all the people, the men in the high rises going out to work and the stability that that brought. And then in the 70s, when that started to break down, the early 80s, the the um, the minor strikes, uh, Thatcher coming in and Thatcher really having no interest in Scotland, having no interest in obviously wanting to break the miners, um, how that all changed. And she she makes the point that by the 80s, um, where the high rise that she uh, lived for her most of her young life um, was called Heroin Heights. You know, it had gone from being this really respectable place that respectable working families lived in where the father came home and gave up his his paycheck, his, you know, pay slip every week to the mother and he was given a bit of money. You know, all that, all those cultural things. I find all that really, really fascinating. I was so interested in that. Now, where, where I incre- had increasing problems as the, the memoir went on was in her interpretation of her mother and her unforgiving interpretation of her mother, really. And at one point she writes, and you see, Deborah was, was terribly clever. And at one point she, she is also, while writing a memoir, she's also exploring what memoir does. And at one point she writes, um, is memoir therapy or is it vengeance? And I became to feel that the therapy of writing about her parents, because the book starts off with her brother and herself clearing out the bureau. This It's was, very well done, that structure yeah, for the book, isn't it? Very I mean, well done. You, you're very constantly well done. coming back to all the things yes, that Wynne kept totally. and the significance of her keeping them. Totally. Brilliant. So I, so that was fascinating. And again, that the idea of a bureau in a lounge that nobody could touch full of precious things, that also, you know, refers back to the socioeconomic atmosphere that her mother was growing up in and her mother's intense desire to be respectable and to build this, this life. Um, and this thing, so she's looking back on her mother and increasingly, as the book goes on, she pathologizes her mother. She keeps on going, as Anne says, her mother was narcissistic. And she doesn't just mean the way people say, oh, so-and-so's, you know, vain, so-and-so's this, so-and-so's that. She is actually using narcissism in the psychiatrist interpretation. So she's pathologizing her mother. And at, at some point you feel, well, how bloody dare you? You know, like this is the woman. Look, clearly the woman lashed out. She had she 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 really fundamentally couldn't understand her daughter. And for that, you think, well, you know what? I can understand that. Um, you know, because this was this woman who had, as Anne said, who'd come up from rural, rural, rural um, Essex mm. to live in this incredibly urban environment in Glasgow. She was an English woman in Glasgow, really hard. Um, she she only went back to, she had nothing really to do for, for Deborah, till Deborah was 12. And then the, in culturally, there was a thing that mother stayed at home till then. And then they got the little job. And she got the little job. She got the job in Smith's factory. Um and, but I mean, Deborah very much sets it up. Sets it up by saying, you know, she didn't mother well. 
And I think that is her really, and of course, memoir. Memoir is the ultimate act of subjectivity. That is her subjective belief. I looked at it and I thought, well, she was a bit of a wagon every now and again. Mm. She said really sharp things that really she shouldn't have. But ultimately, she was so incredibly loving. She was all those trips to the library every week. She was so incredibly supportive of her daughter. And then like many working class parents, when the daughter reaches 18 and suddenly says things like, I'm going to go to university, the mother quite reasonably no bloody clue what she was talking about. No, you can't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's not for us. Don't do that. And Deborah really holds this. This is like yeah, just putting a, another bow in her quiver, ready to shoot at her mother, you know. And she, at one point she says, um, when her mother visits her in Scotland or in, in London, when she's had her first child, she says, it struck her. She, this is a line. She said, why couldn't Win want a happier sex life for me? Well, like, come on, <laughs> like, seriously, you know, um, and she said, and then another point, she says, it's hard to know what's a revelation in hindsight and what's a projection that helps you bolster your own story. And I think she projected a huge amount on Win. that as a 50 odd year old woman, she's looking back thinking, yeah, you know what? It's all her bloody fault that this I turned out like this because of my mother. And for me reading that, I just think get over yourself you need to like if you're still at 50 saying you're, it's all your mother's fault well then it's all on you like it's it's your problem it's not your dead mother's fault you know because she get, and where it that came really really into view for me was in this famous bureau as she was growing up as as the 70s went on and people started to travel there was a whole thing of dolls of souvenir dolls that if somebody went away to Spain or if somebody, they'd come back with a doll. I definitely had them, little flamenco dolls and a doll dressed from Holland with clogs and all that. And Wynne collected these and they were meticulous in the Bureau. She collected them for Deborah. They were for Deborah. They were, she said to people, bring them back for Deborah. Mm. And then Deborah had gone to London. She'd gone to college. She was living in London. And then when Deborah had her first flat, she came back. She was, in her, she was 26, late 20s. She came back and she said to her mother, I'd like to take some of those. And her mother said, no, they're mine. For which I think, fair enough, Mammy. And you You're bu- living in the flat <laughs> up there. With, they're in your flipping bureau. Like, fair enough, Mammy. But, but what about but the she, sleeping bag? But she just segues into this, this thing. She says, hmm. Then I started to think about my, my marriage to my husband, Will Self. And this, I think a lot of people will be reading this book, hoping there's many, many juicy things about Will Self and her divorce which was, she she tweeted a lot about it and it seemed to be incredibly acrimonious. And Will Self's the author. And, you know, if you've, if you've read anything about Will Self or if you've read interviews with him or if you've heard him give an interview, oh, God, love him. He's such a pompous, boring arse. And, you know, so <laughs> she married him. Well, you know, that's not her mother's fault. But, so she segues into saying, sorry, I'm on a little bit of a rant here now. So she says, so she segues about the doll story, if you remember. She's saying, and when I got married, the first thing my husband did was he came into my house and he took, he looked at my bookshelves and he took books um, from my bookshelves and he brought them up into his, the books he liked from my books and he brought them up into her own study. So she kind of feels that that is kind of a throwback to the doll story, that she didn't know how to say what was hers. Um, and that was a, you know, so in other words, Wynne had set her up for this failure in a marriage that she should have at that time said, hey, Buster, 
They're my books. You know, piss off up to your study and get your own books. These are my books. But I wasn't able, you know, I wasn't able to because my mother had made me like that. And I, I got tired of her by the end. I just, and this, this narcissism trope that cons- consistently goes through it. I just got very, very tired of that. And I got very tired of her blaming her mother. And maybe, as Anne says, maybe that's me being a mother. I'm thinking, you know. I would like to, I'm actually listening to you and I'm so disagreeing with everything you're saying in my head. Yeah. Because I... I feel what she was saying and using the narcissism thing, like we have this idea that narcissists are Trump, right? That's the archetypal one we know now. Not only does she admit to narcissism in herself, often in the book as well, as much as she's not as much as she's saying about the mother or indeed the dad, but the narcissism she's talking about, I wouldn't agree with you that it's pathologizing. I think it's those it's those it's that toxic kind of relationship that lots of mothers and daughters have, you know, um, and it's the build up of all these things. So you could mention a few of these things in isolation and you could say Actually, that's not a bad mother because, you know, they don't sound bad. But when you add them all up and and you mentioned university and her going off to university and, and the fact that they wouldn't, they she brings a boyfriend home and the way they treated her after that and the, the way they treated her just because she had sex, you know, um, she was... She was being held up as this paragon of 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 womanhood, of girlhood that was just unachievable. And she was a good girl. Like you get that sense. Oh, completely. She was a good yeah. girl trying yeah. to be good in the world and but never was going to um achieve the goodness that her mother and her father were placing on her, the, the mantle of goodness that they wanted her to achieve. Um and I think the build up of all of that, um, I definitely think it did. There's an anecdote in it where she sent out a play for the first time at three years of age and she has this bracelet. Um on her and it's stolen from her. She's out in the world because her dad says go out and play and it's taken from her wrist. So I don't get the sense that all those the things about her not being able to stick up for herself or to do with her mother, I think that was a very formative um, experience in her life. That was taken away when the person who took it was challenged. They've denied all knowledge and she never got the bracelet back. And it was her first sense that you could, you're in the world and people can just take and, and, and she couldn't speak up for herself. And sort of there's moments like that throughout the book um, and plenty of moments with her mother where she can't ask for what she needs. She can't... Uh, speak the truth but I don't agree that she's monstered her mother in the book like I feel she said an awful lot of lovely things about her there's beautiful memories and there's, there's yeah. things of them having great family times mm. there's a lot of that I mean the, and what I liked about the book then was was that because usually when you're reading these memoirs and there's a bad childhood or you know difficult relationships it's very um, black and white and yes, there's yeah. a lot of nuance in it mm. I mean and I, I don't know as a mother first of all reading it I mean I found myself kind of checking my own way I treat my daughters for example and and wondering God am I doing these things that could end up you know (laughs) hopefully not writing a memoir about them but um, I had a lot of sympathy for Wynne the mother I had sympathy for But I don't think Deborah has any sympathy for I'm not sure that's true. I I, I definitely think she keeps coming back to the fact that Wynne is a product of Mm. what she experienced. You know, like I just read one line that I think shows she she wasn't um, sort of monstering her quite in the way that you have said, Bernice. But she she says there's no baddie in this story. Not really. The baddie is patriarchy. The baddie is narcissism. The baddie is trauma. The baddie is human fear passed down in its doleful paralysis from generation to generation. I think of my parents when they were children, hearing the planes flying overhead, hearing the bombs exploding into the important strategic cities, London and Glasgow, that they lived so near to. I think of their older brothers and sisters coming home. None of my aunts or uncles died in combat. 
lot, also reticent about what they'd seen and done, all quietly getting on with being brave, celebrating the spirit of the Blitz, building a country fit for heroes. I marvel at all the fear that generation was obliged to suppress. John and Wynne were weirder than most, but I think that both the youngest, they may have been golden children, and growing up is harder for the golden children than the rest of us. But I feel that's a tacked on ending. Do I feel, you? yeah, okay. I felt that that was not uh, reflected in her description, in her in her lack of empathy with her parents. Okay. Neve, I haven't come to you. I have a few other things to say which I'll come back to but um, it's good to disagree because sometimes we find on this book club <laughs> we're uh, a lot of the time saying either something's wonderful or something's not wonderful so it's it's interesting to see the different perspectives. Neve, you're a different age group to a lot of us around the table and certainly to um, Deborah uh, who died before Christmas. Um, she was in her 50s writing this and looking back on her life. What did you think of the book? Um, I'm probably more edging towards Bernice than you in terms of what I thought of it. But I will say that I thought the power of this book was its honesty. And I felt um, it was almost as if she had gone to counselling with the dictaphone and then transcribed it all into a memoir. Um, because it, it felt very much like she was getting out all of her frustrations on the page. And certainly for the first the first good three quarters of the book, I found really hard to get through. Um, I found lots of frustration similar to Bernice's and that I felt she didn't give her mother enough leeway. Um, and I felt, as a reader, almost uncomfortable and voyeuristic uh, hearing all of this stuff about her mother who didn't have a voice in the book. Let's remember, this is all from Deborah. Um, and I, I really struggled with myself trying to uh, comprehend what I was reading as well and that I really hated Deborah for much of the book and what she was doing to her mother in it because of those reasons I felt her mother wasn't given a voice. Um, I found that difficult because maybe that's just because I can't relate to that really poor mother-daughter relationship she had and maybe none of us can relate to the uh, chipping away that those small, tiny acts of aggression on Wynne's part have on a character. If that happens to you all throughout your life, the you know there are examples yeah. about the ba- wearing the badge, um, about... Um, there's lots of little small nasty things she says to her you know about calling her plain and ugly and all yeah. of this stuff that um, I mean, that's what I uh, yeah. that's where I was kind of coming mm. from there and you can add up those to you a can big add up those to a bigger of horrible mothering yeah. not yeah. mothering well yeah. at all mothering unwell but then there was so much in the book and the fact that she included the good stuff was also kind of confusing because she wasn't ma- she wasn't making her out to be a monster because if she was she wouldn't have included all the lovely stuff she said about her so just um there was one passage that I thought was lovely where she said, most of the time my mum was loving, attentive, fun, busy, creative, curious and good company. Um, and when I read that, I kind of thought, well, why are you writing this book then? <laughs> why? why, what? Like, I, I just found it really, really hard to get my head around the concept of it all. And that, in a way, is its brilliance because it's not straightforward and it is nuanced yes. and it's so different. Um, yeah, um, I mean, going back to her, sorry to cut a question, mm. Eve, you know the, the bit about the mother's sort of thwarted a- ambition or the talents? Like, she was an incredibly, it sounds like, gifted artist. Mm. I mean, she had all these sketchbooks. Mm. Like she was she was into Hollywood glamour and she would draw these pictures and then she just got rid of them all one day. Um, so there's a sense for me, I think what was wonderful in the round about this book is that as a feminist kind of a look at how what women have had to endure she's a Wynne is the classic woman who never got to be anything beyond the the walls of her house and, and the walls got the, smaller and the walls uh, got yeah, literally like, got smaller yeah. and beyond her husband and beyond her children there wasn't anything else mm-hmm. and the idea that her daughter Deborah would go off 
and find other things wasn't something she was happy about. She wanted her also to be contained and confined. And there is a cruelty in that. And But it's almost like that kind of because it's happened to her I want it to happen to you as well. Yeah, but but I thought that was, I forgave Wynne for that so because I. it was of her so time and she knew nothing else. Absolutely. And how can she spend this whole book blaming Wynne yeah. for that when really, like in the end, she blames the patriarchy. Mm. And I really did feel like it, a lot of it was misogyny through, throughout years. And that's what resulted in Wynne's attitudes as much as it did Deborah's terrible childhood. And so to uh, blame her mother for those actions, I felt was really unfair so on uh, Deborah's part. And, and of course, the mother had this cupboard as well as the bureau. Mm. And, and in the cupboard, she'd kept everything that uh, oh, no, Deborah had ever really, uh, <laughs> And it's so telling. And, and as Deborah said, she probably, the magazine or something was only sold very sparsely where they lived and the mother probably bought half of the yeah. intake of the news and agent. And would never tell her that she thought no, what she was doing never. was great. Well, it's a classic, but I suppose. Classic. Yeah, yeah. And So in other words, if you... Yeah, so that whole thing about when she goes to university, so she applies to St. Andrews and uh, St. Andrews is far away and her mother says, eventually the mother says, no, you're not going. And then the parents eventually say, no, no, actually, you know what? Why don't you go to Glasgow on condition that when you finish your degree, you move back home with us. Now, of course, that's bonkers. That was never going to happen. But like the the the, the writer is sort of as if to say, oh, look at what I had to bloody listen to. Like, imagine. But never mind, I escaped from that. And like, I was thinking of her poor parents. They had no comprehension what this going to university thing was. Mm. They didn't even figure it out. Going to St. Andrews. What? Also, St. Andrews was posh and they, they were trying to say, maybe you're not going to fit in. So you could see that as being protective of her if you wanted to see it that way. They wouldn't really have known that though, would they? They said that. They said, you know, there won't be the type, it'll all be, so go to Glasgow and then you can you can come home after. So I thought... But even that is like, that's Wynne kind of allowing her a little slice totally. of freedom that she can find. And there was lots of glimpses of Wynne being actually quite a forgiving and open-minded character. And uh, she hated her and she puts her father up on this pedestal that I don't understand either because her father is a complete bigot racist Mm. homophobe Mm. um, uh, from what she says in the book and uh, she she says that him for being a product of his time in that regard yeah but he gets a complete Mm. blank slate but when she says that Wynne doesn't like didn't like that about her Mm. father this is Wynne who adores her husband John who would do anything for him openly admits that she doesn't like Mm. Uh, his hatred, his bigotry, his racism, uh, all those horrible characteristics. Uh, there's also a passage in it where she kind of rejects his homophobia, which at the time, uh, Deborah writes, would have been quite, um, you know, quite quite a brave thing to do on Wynne's part. And she did do that. And she was open about the fact that she didn't, she thought they were being mean for, um, uh, she thought John was being mean in the way that he was talking about this gay couple. Um, I just felt that there was lots of glimpses into Wynne's character that I, although she's completely imperfect, um, I thought that given looking at it in the round as her daughter, she could have forgiven her Mm, for a lot of the stuff. And I thought if she were to have an overall view of it, a lot of this a lot of the start of the book could have been revised. Mm. There was an awful lot of time spent on her very early childhood years as well. And I, I wonder, how, was a lot of her emotions transposed onto these really formative years that you can't really fully, truly remember exactly. with exact exactly. detail? In her defence as well, she seems to be one of those people, though, that does have memories from very, very early, which it does happen. There are people yeah, who have them. And I mean... I don't know if mm, we can discount I think that's them. what I said before. That's a projection that helps you bolster your own story. What she said. 
But she does seem to have difficulty herself going to school. She was bullied. She didn't get on with people. So, you know, maybe Deborah has inherited some of her mother's I think that's characteristics as yeah. well. You Deborah know? is mm. fiery and a loner. And you can kind of tell that from it, that she likes to be on her own or carve out her own path. She's argumentative. She's feisty. Um, and probably a lot of that came from her parents too. Which we um, all at the know. Women's Podcast agree is a good thing. Mm. Yeah. The Irish Times Women's Podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition. Sumptuously smooth, dark chocolate. I just have to say, because it doesn't sound like the president, I really enjoyed this book. It's a book that I would definitely recommend to people. And because it's, it is a memoir, it's about her story. But I also find the feminism in it really interesting. And the thinking about she had two abortions, um, you know, the way she was treated by men in that time oh, going yeah. to university, you know, some really dreadful experiences mm-hmm. that a lot of women will relate to. She was raped um, a couple of times mm. in really... But do you wish that that was explored more? Because I really wanted to hear more about that mm. aspect of things. There was about two paragraphs spent on these terrible rapes she suffered yeah. in college. Yeah. But then maybe, and of course she tragically died of breast cancer, maybe, as in so many cases, this was memoir part one. Yeah. And because she had see, such I, an interesting life in the media mm, world mm, in London, which I'd love to know about, yeah. all the amazing interviews she did, all the people mm. she met, I'd love to know about that. Yeah. So maybe actually that was going to be part two. Yeah. I, I, it does I have so that sense I, mean, I just love the way she writes and then mm. she talks about, um, you know, the old fashioned lessons she learned from rape. Um Lessons that place the blame on the victim. Lessons designed to obscure from rapists the fact that they're raping someone at all. Lessons that still work in their job of assisting rapists in fooling themselves and their supporters. I stopped drinking alcohol. I started to dress differently in long voluminous tweed skirt and Edwardian style high collared blouses. My hair I swept up in two wings like something out of the old television series The Aneden Line. (laughs) I bought a camel coat. I started using a hideous frumpy handbag that Wynne had pressed on me ages before. I opted for natural looking makeup and I decided most dysfunctionally of all that what I needed was a boyfriend to protect me and keep me steady Um, and there's lots of for me there was lots of moments like that that I turned the page over just to there was lots of interesting takes yeah. on yeah. a woman's Definitely. experience moving yeah. through the world at that time yeah. um, and how it shapes them but I suppose again it does come back I do think she she didn't ever feel she could stand up for herself I mm. think in the book and I think that comes from not really being given that autonomy I know Wynne was a product of her time but mm. I still think there was parents um, who were did manage even who were products of their time who did manage to give their daughters a sense of possibility that, that things could be different that they didn't need to be imprisoned in, yeah. in the patriarchal prison they had been in and I think Win was like even to the extent I mean again you might put this down Bernice to, oh you just expect that you know when she got married she just continually addressed um, Deborah's letters to Mr. Mrs. Wells self mm. even though Deborah hadn't changed her name those passive aggressive things no, like, why are you saying up, that's passive aggressive instead is. of just being the cultural norm at the time no because if someone says to you mum my name is this and then you continue to call them something else what are you doing there it's an act of aggression no, in my, in my but eyes but aren't we looking at that from the perspective of now I think it's yeah. very hard to go no, back I'm to 20 at it years ago. I'm not even then because I think I just, I don't know, maybe well, I'm... Well, I have a friend who, whose uh, elderly aunt consistently writes to her as her husband's name, Mr., you know, Mrs. her husband's name. And she says she immediately, she gets the letter and she throws it in the bin immediately. The card, the Christmas card, whatever. 
And I have to say, I think that's really mean because this elderly aunt is doing what the social norms of this elderly aunt is living in, in the same way Wynne did as well. You know, I can certainly remember that when my sister got married and she didn't take her husband's name, my father was astonished. He thought it was the most extraordinary thing. And I think by the time when I got married and didn't take my husband's name, I just think he, it was a, oh, for God's sake, <laughs> here we go again. Hmm. The whole thing about sex in it as well, you know, the fact that Wynne thought sex was the most awful thing yeah. in the world and spoke about that to Deborah. And there's one point where after Deborah's had a child and she turns around to that's, her that's in the right, sitting room yeah. and she says, you like, like it, it, don't yeah. you? <laughs> and she's talking about sex and Deborah's eyes are downcast and basically saying, yes, I do. And the mother is disgusted with her and for that. Exactly you know. follow on from that is that line. Why couldn't Wynne want a happier sex life for me? Oh, give me a break. And she says at one point, my parents, the two of them, were like a pair of human chastity belts. Yeah. And and the father apparently, according to Deborah, loved the mother because of the fact that she didn't like sex. Yeah. Because if she did like sex, she'd She'd be be a slut. Yeah. And she says that the... the, I mean, they're constantly slut-shaming her the the whole time. Well, the mother uh, confides in Deborah at one point that um, she, 10 days into her honeymoon, they still hadn't had sex. Now, obviously... You know, that's a, that's a problem. That's, a, that's not, you know, that would be universally recognised as not a good thing to have transpired. And what were the reasons for that? Deborah's not interested in sort of feeling empathy for a mother and saying, jeepers, that is, you know, literally what happens at the, after her mother confides in her that. She says, then I resolved age 18 to leave mother well. You just think, oh. I got very tired of her. Well, you see, I, I have to say I, I love the book. I know yeah. I'm making criticisms yeah. about the way she t- treated the mother. But as you said, uh, Bernice, the social history of the whole thing, I found fascinating, the flats and then getting a house with a garden and all that kind of thing. And I was also the neighbours that they had and, and the parties. Mm. They started to have little parties in Lovely. the house. But they fell away, I think, probably because they were too straight. Uh, Wynne and John mm. were too straight and other people felt they were being... Uh, looked down upon, you mm. know. I, I felt sorry for Wynne and John and sorry for the life that they had and how much they missed out. Yeah. But I just loved the way the book was written mm. and I loved the whole story and I I would... I kept wanting to know I, what else was yeah, in the bureau. Yeah, I really loved yeah, that device. The bureau was a wonderful device. And the fact that she every has day so many things from her child. I was actually feeling a bit jealous of that. She has I all know, these things from her childhood. going to give out to oh. me now. Oh. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where's um, your bureau? Can I read one little short bit of our page actually just because Are you disappointed there isn't a universal love for this book? Kind of, I yeah. feel it in you. I am I, a little I bit. I sense I, that feel, of you now like, there, I feel Roshi. myself, I feel like Bernice and if you're being I think you're being way too harsh about the um, the fa- the way she's talked about her mother because I do think there's balance in it. I think that there's a lot of love in this book. I really do love for her mother because she was there with her till the very end. She was the loyal daughter to the very end. It's not and like she was highly critical of her mother at the very end. Yeah. This is this mother flipping, dying. Mm. So the mother, and this is a really kind of bitchy section of it. So the mother is very near death. She's in a wheelchair. She's taken her out from the home or the hospice or whatever she's in. And she says to the mother, we'll take a taxi downtown. And the mother says, we will not. You know, we'll, we'll go down. So, you know, and Deborah takes such umbrage and thinks this is their mother being narcissistic. This is her mother. Oh, for God's sake, you can just see that scenario a million times played over. A woman saying, don't be wasting your money. Like that's 
if that is nearly the most normal interaction that I can think of. And then she gives out about her mother's reaction to being told she's dying. So her father, when she makes the point that when her father, who she just flipping adored, when her father is told he's dying, he apparently bursts into tears and then he never references it again, you know. So she looks upon that as, hmm. When her mother is told she's dying, her mother sort of simply couldn't believe it. And Deborah sort of interprets that as yet more narcissism. You know, she didn't think death was for her nearly. Mm. And it would be interesting to to know what the brother thought about this memoir and his interpretation. There was only one thing he could cite that was something about he'd gone to have a lasagna somewhere in a pub and the Mm. mother said, of course, it wasn't as good as my lasagna. And the, the son said... Well, actually, it was. And that John looked over, the father looked over, oh, God, you've done it now. I mean, this wasn't, you just mm. couldn't do this kind of thing. You couldn't say that anything was better. But I, I would like to know how he, obviously, yes. he does, uh, throughout she the book. She doesn't seem to like him very much. No, she and doesn't not, he him. doesn't like her either. No. But the brother is, seems to be, he went off for three years and nobody heard from him for three years and this kind of thing. There doesn't seem to be a great relationship between the two of them. But I would have loved to know what he thought of this memoir. Yeah, well, the bit I wanted to read was the bit, because to me, I felt this was a really awful um, part of the book and I felt very much for Deborah Orr in in this when her mother um, reads this letter that she has sent to her. She hasn't sent it yet. A letter that she was sending to her boyfriend. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, this is really bad. And then you add it all up against all the other things. Mm -hmm. So she she was used to her mother reading letters that arrived in the house for her. But this was the first time that she'd actually read one that wasn't even sent. She'd written this letter to her boyfriend and in the letter it's obviously uh, clear that these two young people are sleeping with each other and this is then this scene that happens is just horrible. So it was obvious to them, Wynne said, like like St. Peter for the prosecution on Judgment Day, that I was sleeping with this man. Did I not understand what I had done? Did I not know that I was ruined? No decent man would look at me now, let alone marry me. I was 20 years old. We did not live in 1891 in Thomas Hardy's Wessex. I was not Tess of the Durbervilles. My protest brought nothing but greater anger. Finally, my father spoke. This man has lied to you and tricked you. You are no better than a common whore. He does not respect you or he would not have done this to you. I know this because I know what men are like, because I am a man. You are a stupid, disgusting little fool and there is nothing more we can do to help you now. You have wrecked your whole life. You are worthless. You must stop seeing this man right away. After that, we'll have to decide what to do next. I know this because I know what men are like, because I am a man. Oh God, this is Deborah speaking now. Oh God, the self-loathing of it, the sadness. What a pair. What an unfortunate, unlucky pair, so eager to support each other in self-abnegation, so keen to shore up the other in their mutual horror, their culturally fostered mutual horror of something as simple as sex, of something that should, when they had so much trust and honesty between each other in all other ways, have been a time of physical freedom, a time of release from the rigours and rules that humans place on each other, although it at least explained the near sexless marriage. My father prized my mother as a woman precisely because she found sex with a man uh, with his, to both of them, foul urges so distasteful. It was a kind of triumph to him. I mean, that bit there, I don't know how anybody could read that episode and what her, her own parents, her, her mother and father. Her recall is amazing, isn't it, Roshi? Her recall of that. pretty darn editorialising, <laughs> yes. if you ask me. 
you know, the recall of, the, of that conversation. Oh, way. Roisin, you're giving me such daggers. <laughs> I mean, it is a bit an awful episode. I agree. I do agree. It sums up what those parents were like, despite all the lovely things that they did, but all this toxicity and all these slights and the but ugly, calling them ugly and all these things. But I didn't know. I think they were lovely despite all of that stuff. There's lots of people who didn't know better who didn't behave like that, But she's saying at the end, she's saying, I can't believe my parents never accepted me for who I am. Well, I'm sorry. She didn't accept her parents for mm. who they were. Yeah, yeah. Like, the times were different. I, re- I remember bringing a boyfriend to my house when I was 17 years of age. And what year are we talking here, Mum? <laughs> well, I'm 80 now or whatever. I'm not going to work out the or mathematics whatever. of it all. <laughs> but anyway, right. he came to me. <laughs> You're good at math. <laughs> this, I walked into the house with this boyfriend, right, the first one I had dared to bring home. Mm. And my father went out into the back garden and cried. <laughs> I mean, I know that sounds... I didn't call you a disgusting little whore, though, did well, he? He probably was thinking that. He probably wanted to kill the boy anyway. But, you know, what I mean, he was so overwhelmed with the idea that there was going to be some kind of physical thing between me, his little darling girl, uh, and this boy, that he went into the back garden and cried. You see, it was a different time. People were different then, and we just have to face that. And, think- and Eve is right that we, we have to look at that, but... I, I, I know she, she gave this mother a terrible time and I know my heart goes out to poor Wynne because I, as Bernice and I even said, she's only doing what comes naturally to her at the time. But she was the worst of that. She was the worst of it. She was the worst of it. You have to say yes. that. I mean, oh, no, I do. I absolutely do. And she didn't seem to ever move in any way in her thinking. That's the that's the fascinating thing to me. Mm. Like time went on. Yes. Yeah. Social mores changed absolutely. all around yeah. her. Yeah. But she never she um, yeah. changed at all. Yeah. And only seemed to get more spiteful and was continued to be horrible to her daughter in all sorts of ways. And I think that's the real value in this book as well is that it gives us the perspective of a woman in her late 50s who grew up in the this culture who was part of that women's lib movement in those years but whose parents weren't mm, and yes, who struggled against that mm. through every point of their mm, life when it came to going to university yeah. going into the workplace becoming young yeah. mothers yeah. and not following the yeah. same path that they did that tension between Deborah and Wynne is so expertly done in this mm, book yeah. and I think is really well portrayed that fight of um, uh moving from one world to the next is so distinct in this relationship that that's the value of this book. You may agree or disagree about our treatment of the mother, um, but that's the real value in this book. It's a really intimate, brilliant portrait of all of that, what you just said. And the the interesting thing is that Deborah became a very successful person in the world. You know, she was acclaimed journalist. Mm. So what... Did they do so t- such terrible things to her that she couldn't aspire? Uh, I you don't know? think that's like it's. Well, just, I mean, can be despited, can't it? it can well, be. it can be despited, but at the same time, there's something there. It's, it's given her plenty of material for the. But memoir. what this book does is that most <laughs> people at that, who are successful it. through that don't talk about that time. I have never heard that perspective before of women who are successful despite all of this. It's like you have to be strong and forget about it and dismiss mm. it as being of the time. Yeah. this doesn't yeah. do that, and that's yeah. different. I think you're right, Neve. Yeah, and there's a, right. I have to say, there's some funny moments. Like she she is a great anecdotalist, and mm. she's got she has yeah. whatever about you say about her recall. You know, she's she's just that writer who observed everything. And um, there's a one moment where they go into the really big fancy chemist that's in that's opened up in Motherwell, and and <laughs> the mother's one. buying tampons, oh, and the woman yeah. says, like, "Do you want super?" <laughs> and, she, and the wind storms out and says to Deborah, "What kind of a woman does she think I am?" Oh my God! Like it is hilarious. That was hilarious. I mean, that is a real it tells but you about but when Deborah doesn't think that's funny 
<laughs> she thinks that's her mother being, being narcissistic. a narcissist. Yeah, exactly. Like instead of thinking it's flaming hilarious, she doesn't. She thinks, oh, that was that's yet another. I'm sure but do you think this is hilarious. this is the first time Deborah's dealing with all of this stuff? I felt like that. This is the first draft of something. Deborah yeah. says it herself she's just learned that she has post traumatic stress yeah. disorder and all of that. This is the first time she's ever got this out. I feel like these are diaries from the time yeah. that if you were to look back on it in five years like just let that settle now let me sleep <laughs> on that you might burn it but yeah. that hasn't happened here you know you might you might sign up burn it I'm not saying it's worthy of that but sure. um, that you might revise your thinking a bit I just feel like this is a bit blurted out I kind of think that's why I liked it though I know and I, 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 I liked it for that it would be a different yeah. book mm. then yeah. but it wouldn't have the fire that yeah. it really and has and the honesty yeah. whether you, you agree with how mm. she talks about women oh, yeah. I think what you said and whether you think she's over egging the narcissism yeah. whatever it is there's a there's a fire in yes. the pose yeah, you know there there's an there's urgency an ang- well, no, I there's, think an there's an anger well there is an anger and I won't, and that it's like the, the anger of a woman who's dying too young as well I thought is she aware of her diagnosis at this point and is she angry because that's a very yes. interesting phase but of life is, as well, yes. where you've just been yes. diagnosed with terminal cancer yes. and are you angry about everything yes. bad that's happened in your life? How can you look back on something yes. with rose tint or with yeah. forgiveness when you're mm. so angry? And her marriage, the, the, and her the marriage is of her marriage broken off. Yeah. 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 And I wonder, is there, there is a lot of anger in this book. Huge. I um, I didn't mind the constant mentioning of narcissism because I think the narcissism is not just about Wynne and her, her father. I think it's a theme. I think it's a theme of the ways in which narcissism is sprinkled everywhere in, in our lives. And there's one bit at the, near the beginning where she talks about Motherwell and the place and how that was kind of infused with the narcissism by saying there was a bloated, strained self-regard that I didn't recognise, not then at least. I came to identify the large, fragile egos that stood sentinel over local superiority as a kind of collective narcissism. There's probably nar- a narcissism about every village, town and city that yeah. we call it civic pride. In Motherwell, in all of Lanarkshire, it seemed extreme. Everyone kept everyone else in line using phrases developed for such a purpose. I mean, we can all relate to these phrases. Mm. If she was an ice cream, she'd eat herself. Mm. She'd buy tickets to her own show. She's so <laughs> sharp, she'd cut herself. She thinks she's somebody and the one I hated most of all what's fur ya I'll not go by ya which translates as don't embarrass us all by striving for something different see what you get and be content with it mm-hmm. so I thought those social kind of yeah, uh, understanding mean, and, of a social and society what follows on great. from that she, 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 she explores the, uh, just written it down here the duality of Scottish victimhood and Scottish superiority. And mm. I think you could replace Irish there. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And that's what I found fascinating. It made me start, it made me think, God, I need to find out more about yeah. Scotland, actually, and how Scotland <laughs> well, relates to the world. she's very good on that we're in terms like that. of, yeah, yes, she's very good at the fact that, you know, Scotland and Northern Ireland are 12 miles apart yes. at their closest point. And all those kind of, she's very good at understanding the sectarianism. Yes. And oh, how, sectarianism is fantastically Yeah, like explored. she's just got such yeah. a good eye. What were you going to say, Mum? No, you know me, Roisin. I'd just like to, to read from the epilogue, though, this, this paragraph that struck me, and it kind of encompasses the whole lot we've been talking about. When she died when I was 50 years old. I was devastated by her loss because she was my mother, because she, was de- she died in such pain, physical and mental, mm. and because my dream of a decent mother-daughter bond died with her. But her death also gave me freedom, freedom at last, to say I didn't want to be like her. I didn't want to be married. I didn't want to live through my husband. I didn't want to force my kids into being my subservient companions. I didn't want to retreat, stay home and stop moving forward. Mm, And she says that in her epilogue. And of course, she was at that stage knowing that she had this. She had 
the, the post-traumatic thing and she also had the cancer diagnosis. She knew she wasn't going to live into old age. And, mm. and as Benisa said, it would have been lovely to have more of mm. the marriage bit because we're all dying to know what a yes. horrible man. Yeah. We know what a horrible man, but I mean whatever yes. happened to, to their relationship. But it so didn't I sound think good. it was probably going to be memoir too, don't yes, you? Yes, I would have loved that. Because I didn't feel it was quite as brave given that the mother was dead and she said nothing about the husband who must have been, well, yes. I don't know, you know, because yeah. he's alive. Yeah. I just feel like Wynne was taken advantage of a, because a of she was dead. in general, that, you know, people are feel free to say whatever they like about somebody that's dead? And I have never come across it before in yeah. memoir writing as scathing as it is here. Yeah. Um, and normally there's an... an an essence of looking back with kind of um, nostalgia and there's yeah. none of that here. This is very angry. But I think like there are a lot of different factors at play here that maybe aren't are, are, are impacting on that, mm. like her illness and like, you know, all the terrible things she has had to go to to get to where she is. And we have to remember as well that she's come an, aw- an awfully long way mm. uh, from the steel town in Motherwell with no support from her family to get all the way to London to become this major magazine editor in The Guardian to be married to this famous author himself. You know, they Mm. have to live... They are like the Mm. golden media Mm. couple. Mm. And she has not in any ways got a silver spoon in her mouth. Like, And so to have come from there, uh, you know, you you'd have to be gritty and angry and self-motivated yeah. and a narcissist, which she admits to herself as well, of course, yes. because all writers are narcissists. Well, memoir writers. I mean, uh, the why mo- would you think anybody's going to be interested in your <laughs> yeah. life? Yes, yeah. unless you're a narcissist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. Yeah. yeah. Um, I suppose, can I just say this, because maybe this is wrong, but I suppose, Bernice, because she's dead and because she just died so yeah. recently, I think that's why I'm having a reaction as well to yeah. the way you're being very, very harsh on her, the way you're talking about her. Yeah. That's sort of definitely, I have to just be honest and say that's playing in with yeah. me. Yeah, like because you're certainly giving me daggers there, Roisin. Just saying. <laughs> well, I'm just saying if, <laughs> I, if I think if... Serious. Oh, I think do you if, feel that? Then? I think Whoa. if Deborah Orr was alive um, and we were talking about the book, I probably would be able to okay. take your criticism a bit more. I think... Right. I, I'm fu- but why do you feel that you I don't know. Why do you feel that you have to... I don't, I don't know why. I'm yeah, just, I'm just why? being honest mm, about it. Why? why Deborah didn't know? feel that way about her mother. No, she didn't feel that way. Anyway, I'm just saying that. I just... And also... I did feel like that too. I didn't want to not like the book because she had died young and tragically and she had achieved so much. I really didn't want to feel this way about this book and it took me a while to get my head around the fact that I couldn't deny that I felt that way exactly. either. Um, but I you have to be exactly honest about it too. Yeah, I think yeah. I think mm. everybody has I think we have been. But I, 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 I disappointed say, voice, Roisin. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, it was just a quiet voice. <laughs> I I really liked the book and it's not, and I didn't like it because she died yeah. tragically young. Yeah. I, yeah. I, no, I would no, there was send so this on. I think it's brilliantly written. I loved her journalism. This is just, I think she's great. Like, and on feminism and on patriarchy and on all those things, there's, there's loads to read and look back on. And yeah. I think it's excellent. I mean, the cover is amazing as well. Just a beautiful picture of her as a child in the dress. You can see when either making or mm. picking out with the knee high socks and the white shoes. And anyway, it's a it's a quite a, I haven't read anything like it, actually. No, that's the one thing. I've never read anything quite like yeah. it before. It took me by surprise. It took me by surprise that I I I loved that book and I will give it to people. I give it only to special people because I really really loved it. I loved every word of it and I would probably listen to it again. Because I said I had the privilege of having a really good audible reading of it and it was wonderful and I I loved the book. Okay, so we've sort of two big thumbs up and two definite 
thumbs down? No, no, no. Oh, okay. I don't think that's don't fair to say. No, no, okay. I don't think that's fair to say. I will... I, in fact, only said to somebody last night that they should read oh, it. Oh, okay. You know, because it is fascinating on very, very many levels. I just got a bit fed up with her. Mm. Being a woman in her 50s, still blaming her mother for her life. Which Fair enough. I just think... And Neve, what about you in terms of passing it on or what would you would say to people? Yeah, I think I'd pass it on to people who I know are avid readers and would get through books despite maybe not liking them. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, let me explain. Because like I'm a, not a great reader and I if I hadn't had to read this for the book club, hmm. I'd have put it down halfway through oh, and I'd have not have gotten to the end, which I think explains in much more detail lots of the nuances. Yes. Yeah. And it's important to read it to the end. If you are struggling with it, finish it. Um, so I mean, what I mean by that is that if I know, I would give it to somebody who I thought could take a little reading stuff they don't quite like, but that has value because this does have value. Yes. Look, let's be honest as well. If any of our, I mean, two, of, three of us are mothers around this table, right? And you know what I kept thinking was again, if my kids were unpicking loads of things that I, I've done, I would not get a good uh, report, or I'd certainly feel. Bad. It does. It is. It's brilliant at that because it brings you from the perspective of the child yes. and the parent, and how. I mean, that, that trite Philip Larkin, they fuck you up, your mum and dad. You know, that's there all the way through. And so, in some ways, it's it's inevitable that we're but going that to line, mess up. That poem also continues. They don't mean to, but yeah. they do. So they don't mean to. Is what Deborah Orr is missing in this. They don't mean to. So mm. stop being so bloody angry and bitter about them. But they do. And that's what you're left okay. to deal with. And I think that's what she's still dealing with very much. Like you said, Neve, uh, it's recent. It's it's very raw. Yeah. It's very angry. Yeah. Uh, it's excellent writing. And the real sadness is we won't be reading part two. Which yeah. we be, all would, would, would love to read. read part two. Yeah. Well, I would read, mm-hmm. I would read mm-hmm. anything by her. I think she's just her descriptions. And I mean, for somewhere that, let's just end on this, like you, you talked about the sprawling industrial town, to, you know, twice the size of Monaco, like you said. I mean, you think in some ways, why would it be interesting that she absolutely builds this world that you are fascinated by? You're almost thinking, oh God, if I'm ever up that, if I'm ever in Scotland, <laughs> yeah. I want to go and see it. And I want to look at this yeah. place. Yeah. And, the and the nature, she loved nature. nature. She yeah. loved walking through the woods and she was she had her ladybird book of trees mm. and she, there's all that side of her too. You and know? you know her description of the Aberfan disaster where the it uh, yeah. collapsed in on oh, the yeah. school and how yeah. uh, I thought that was so poignant as well and really summed up the real hard life those people had um, and she described that beautifully too anyway Motherwell by Deborah Orr a very uh, fiery conversation <laughs> there just like uh, the author herself and that's good to have um, the differences uh, and I think what well, it sounds like we'd all um, be recommending yeah. it oh, definitely. and and I would definitely recommend it so have a, if you're reading yourself we'd love to know what you think email us on the women's podcast at irishtimes.com tell us what you got from the book um, what you liked about it what, what you didn't like about it and uh, we'll come back to you and let you know what our next book club is until then thank you very much Neve, Anne and Bernice thanks for thank thank you. you. and that's it for today Thanks very much to our book clubbers, Anne Ingle, Neve Towie and Bernice Harrison. Remember, you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Spotify, Acast and all good podcast apps. 
For our next book club, we've decided to explore another very interesting mother-daughter relationship. And this time, we're going to be reading Nula Ofuelon's memoir, Are You Somebody? This groundbreaking memoir resonated with so many readers when it was released over 20 years ago. And of course, Nula was a much respected and admired Irish Times columnist. If you read it before, why not read it again with us? And if you haven't read it, well, you're in for a treat. If you want to get in touch, we're on Twitter and Facebook at IT Women's Podcast or email us on thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com. The podcast is produced by me, Roisin Ingle, and by Suzanne Brennan with JJ Vernon on sound. Until next Next time, thanks for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.